What's good, people? Welcome to the Mind Body Hoops podcast. Whether I'm talking to athletes or authors or trainers, doctors, or anyone else, I'm trying to access information that's just not that accessible, and I'm trying to learn with you guys. So whether it's your first time listening or not, I appreciate you. Thank you for joining the journey, and let's find out what makes an expert an expert. Let's find out what makes a top athlete or a top author or a top entrepreneur, what got them there. And I think we'll find that what makes someone great at their craft makes them great internally and as people too. So a big part of what I'm doing here is trying to bridge the gap between what makes a great hooper a great hooper and what makes a great human a great human. I think the lines are blurred there and uh, let's see if my theory holds up. So I appreciate you guys. I hope you guys walk away with some actionable insights. I know I have in interviewing some of these amazing people. And uh, one thing I could offer you is just find that one thing, find that one actionable insight, habit, tactic, perspective that can change your life. One small thing you implement that you take away from this podcast will create huge ripple effects in your life. So I challenge you, I urge you, I invite you, I offer you, find that one thing. And uh, again, I appreciate you guys for joining me on this journey. I'm your host, Max McCoy. And without further ado, welcome to the Mind Body Hoops podcast. Today, I sit down with world-renowned NBA skills trainer, Jordan Lawley. Jordan has trained people like Clay Thompson and Carmelo Anthony. He's put on clinics around the world. He started multiple businesses. I was deeply humbled to be able to sit with him. Um, this conversation resonated with me deeply. Let me tell you, like I have learned so much from this conversation. This will be one of those talks that I refer back to for a long time to come. I hope you guys take as much value out of this as I did. Uh, and without further ado, here's my conversation with Jordan Lawley. All right, Jordan. What's going on, man? Thanks for being on the uh, the Mind Body Hoops podcast, man. This one's a big one for me, so I appreciate you taking the time. I'm excited. Thank you for having me. Um, it's hard to know where to start with you, like I just said, but uh, I guess I'll start with like, what's a typical day look like for a world-renowned NBA trainer? I feel like so many people feel like they know you, they look up to you, they're following you, but like, what's a typical day look like for you? A uh, typical day, like work day, would probably be starting around 7, 8 a.m. Uh, in the off-season, I have a slow time, uh, going till hard stop at 11.30, do lunch and have our business meetings, have our podcasts uh, that we do, and uh, that'll take us all the way to two o'clock. Uh, from two to about seven o'clock would be another like hard influx time for us to, to train. Yeah. Uh, but we do have uh, a lot of pocket times where we're filming content, mm-hmm. which is one of the main driving forces of our industry now. Yeah, the marketing side of things. Why do you think, I asked about the lifestyle and I opened with that because like, why do you think it's such a, I know when you started, this wasn't such a saturated, I want to mm-hmm. say, industry or it's like everybody wants to be a skills trainer now and yeah. like everybody's looking at you as kind of the forefront and like a few of you guys up at the forefront. Why do you think this uh, this area of expertise is becoming so common and it's like everybody wants to be a, a skills trainer now? I think a lot of it is is based off of the social media presence um, and people get to see what they want to see and they get to see the edited version of a lot of these things. And, you know, they get to see us in engaging and interacting with you know, high-level clientele, high-level NBA players or prominent players. And they get to see us going to events and being pretty much, you know, an NBA player in their eyes, a role model or somebody to that has a little bit of notoriety, a little bit of fame. Not saying that I have fame or whatever, but... But, but no way you do. Man. But like, there's yeah. some things that social media has given us yeah. um, to really put ourselves in that position. Now, it's 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 wild because because everybody sees that they forget you know what it took to get to this position, mm. 
And there were so many days where I would just grind from 6 a.m. to, you know, 8 p.m., 9 p.m. at night, driving from court to court. Like I had a, when I was first starting out, I had a Toyota Prius, orange Toyota Prius. I had it, had Prius my, too. <laughs> it had my name all over the side of it. The top of it was a basketball. Wow. Like it was just, oh, I've got to send you a photo, man. Super loud, huh? Just super loud. I got to send you It was my advertising. It was my marketing stream. And that's how I what was, was that? Able, what was that? When was that? Uh, when I got done playing. So 2012, yeah. I got done playing my last, uh, 2013. And um, that was my style of marketing was, wow. was in your face driving on the road because I would drive over hundred miles a day. So I was driving in San Diego, would drive from North County to downtown, to El Cajon, to downtown La Jolla. Mm -hmm. And I just grind the entire time. And people don't understand, like when we start out, like as trainers, like it's driven purely off passion. Like it's not the, the, the glitz and glamour. If you don't just jump into the market and get to train, you know, Clay Thompson or get to train Carmelo, like you're training a bunch of, of, a very rudimentary, very beginner level, like players and you're building a foundation of your business. So there's a lot of times where your patience is tried, where your, your, your relationships are tried, where your, uh, your ability to, to have, you know, quality time with the people that you care about, you know, is really tried. And that's the thing that not too many people fall in love with or are able to see and they don't want to see and they, they don't get to see yeah. based off of that social media presence that we've built this stigma around basketball trainers. It's easy for me to see like someone coming up and wants to be an NBA skills trainer. They hear that from you and other people maybe that it almost adds meaning to the grind they're in now, like that really yeah. stages. But for you, you didn't really have anyone to look at that North Star or whatever. So yeah. did you have someone or like, did you always have in the back of your mind that like, I want to be NBA, I want to be training NBA players. I want to be running clinics. I want to be traveling the world or was it just, I absolutely love doing this and I'm going to do as much as I can. So it actually happened. So I'll tell you the story on how I became a skills trainer yeah. and it kind of fell in my lap. I was training. I was, uh, sorry, I wasn't training. I was working at my school gym, UCSD's gym called Remac, and mm. I was checking people in. So like they hand me their ID, I check them in, boom, they go in. And his mother came up and approached me. I was like, do you guys offer basketball sessions? I told him no, but I'm on the team. I might as well try it. So I literally started by a pure whim, by God's grace. To, somebody walked into my lap and tried training, and, and I actually loved the teaching side of it more so than the basketball side of it. So I fell in love with the process, with the, with the transformation process, with the development process, and seeing somebody from literally this, the ground floor just from scratch, being able to mold them a little bit to how I have played basketball my entire life. So it was now I can see pieces of me amongst the community. And like, for me, that was so much bigger than the sport. And like, that was my way of doing something with the sport. And I, I was, had grown up wanting to be an orthodontist my entire life. So went and had a, a, an official visit like to UOP School of Dentistry in Northern California. And like, that's what I wanted to do was I wanted to be an ortho. And then I got to college, I switched that up and I wanted to be an agent. And then I decided that I could play overseas because I had a really good college season. So played overseas. So like, my mind was in shambles. I had no idea what I wanted to do. And all of a sudden this lady comes into my life who wants me to train her kid. And I found a passion. I found my calling. So um, it purely is based off of passion. You know, I, I, I found what I love to do, which was teach. And I was able to form that into a longstanding business. It seems like you're a really articulate and methodical teacher while still being that passion you talk about in your eyes. Like, has that been a gift you've been given? Is that something you've cultivated over time? Like, one, I have a, like, what makes a, a good teacher a good teacher? And then 
how do you develop that skill set and how did you develop that skill set? Because it seems like it's head and beyond like what other people are doing. Yeah, so um, break that down. So for me, like it was never something that was, that was innate. It was, you know, I was personable, but I wasn't uh, memorable. Like I could have, I can hold the conversation, I can grasp a conversation, but you weren't going to remember what the conversation was. I can charm you with a little bit of charisma, but it wasn't, you know, how can I really sink my teeth into you to make you feel my presence? And that was all learned. And it really became uh, a means of me being confident in what I was saying. Like, if you just go out there and you think, okay, I'm just going to make this up on the fly, like to start off, you know, it really is very difficult to, to make something happen. But I, uh, I got really confident in my ability to speak and just to speak continuously. And how'd you develop that? So I started with just a little trial and error thing that I did. And I actually put this in my trainer's guide to success was I would put my iPad and I'd face it toward me and I'd just press record. And my goal was to talk for three minutes or talk for one and a half minutes to start. Yeah. And after I got done, like in this could be one topic, could be whatever. I just had to talk. And what it did was it helped me uh, develop an ability to speak without, you know, via monologue. Yeah. So the easiest time to speak is host, hosting a conversation or a dialogue with somebody because you get to see what they're feeling. Mm-hmm. Like when I say something, you smile, like I know that I it's have feedback, you, yeah. you know, I know that I have you kind of roped into what I'm saying or agreeing with what I'm saying. But when you're speaking to a camera with nobody present in the room, mm-hmm. it's a monologue. So I don't know if it's, you know, how it's sitting with you. I don't know what, you know, what it about. So this allowed me to feel confident in, in how I was presenting myself and what I was saying. And then my one and a half minutes turned to three. My three minutes turned to five. And then my five minutes turned to 10. So you pick a topic, doesn't matter. I'll talk to you for 10 minutes, talk your ear off about a topic that, you know, I feel comfortable with or confident in what I'm saying. And there's a lot of things like from a teacher's perspective, it's not always what you say, but it is how you say it. And if I can say something with with confidence and and, and a little bit of pomp in, in my style, my players, whether they're older than me, younger than me, you're better than me, are going to believe in what I'm saying. And so for, for people listening who are maybe a trainer looking to convey that kind of passion and enthusiasm with the people they work with or like me, like just any type of person I work with or teammates to teammates, how, what are some of the actually type of skill sets that you develop? It's like what are some things people can work on themselves that kind of convey this enthusiasm and, and influence people? Like what is it? Is it the tone of voice? Is it your eye contact? Is it your enthusiasm with your body? Like what especially makes people captivated by what you're saying? Positive affirmation touches. So we talk about this um, for all my kids and we do a group. We have a target goal, uh, positive affirmation touches each day. So they have to get 50. So in the course of like a one and a half hour, one hour and 15 minute session, they have to get 50 positive affirmation touches. That could be a high five, Mm. slap on the butt, slap on the back, you know, good job with a handshake but it just gets them more confident in communication and leadership. I like that. And it's something that we get really easy to just get into this monologue, you know, demeanor where we're just on our phones conversating, you know, with our thumbs. And it takes a little bit of effort to get out of that stigma, get out of that habit because kids are doing it on a constant, you know, consistent basis all day. Mm. So when they get in the gym with us, it forces them to have a dialogue, forces them to become a little bit more leaders and establish that voice. So, all of it can be tied into what we call like our voice, finding your voice. Mm. And that is tone. It is engagement. It is, you know, the positive affirmation touches. All that plays into that voice. And you're obviously like the enthusiasm and the energy you bring is a huge part of what you do. But mm-hmm. the other part of what you do is the X's and O's of being a skills trainer. And you're training the best of the best. You started from 
you know, the bottom in your, in your words and then built your way up. How'd you kind of cultivate that skill set to be able to like methodically break down the game in such a way that you can teach it so well, you could, you could train the best, you could train, you know, middle school guys. Like how did you develop that skill bo- that skill set and that toolbox to, to train at the highest level? So I found what I was good at. I knew what I was good at and I relied on that extremely heavily when I started off. Mm. So I did that in order to build like my brand, to build a niche. Um, then from there, I decided to take all the things that I was deficient at and build them up to a baseline. So like my defense, my uh, ability to dribble. Like I sucked at handling the basketball. Like when I was in college, if I dribbled the ball more than three times, like really? the thing was getting stolen. Like really? that's how much I hated putting the ball on the ground. Ah. Um, <laughs> so I did everything. I was very efficient and I was very you know, good at the triple threat. And those are things that I relied on teaching. But as I grew and as a, as a trainer, I just built my uh, deficiencies up to a baseline. And once I built everything up to a baseline where I felt like I had no liabilities in my game, I continued to highlight different aspects, ball handling, counter moves, combo moves, mid post, you know, triple threat extension, uh, you know, moves off the pick and roll. Like, then everything started being able to fine tune each one of those dynamics. Mm. So it literally, just like everything in life, just like business, if you don't have a consistent, strong foundation, it's very easy to find cracks in the things that you teach. So I just made it a point of impact to just build up that foundation enough to where I can highlight each skill concept that I'm teaching to where my client wouldn't you know, strongly suggest otherwise. Mm. It's kind of like how you approach everything. It sounds like what you just said, whether it's your ability to s- speak your message or like teach the game. It started with very small, methodical, mm-hmm. incremental growth. And then for me, looking in at you, you know, you had great success at UCSD playing at the college level. You went on to play pro. You stepped away from the game, it sounds like, by choice. And then it seems like the whole training thing and becoming a world-around skills trainer, of course, took work. But like you said, it fell into your lap almost. Yeah. So it's easy to look at you and say, wow, this guy has an awesome linear path. Like he had a, a start, the next step, the next step, and then he got to where he is today. And from for other people, you know, it's easy to look at that and say, well, I'm just not that. Like my path's not that linear. Like my next step isn't so clear. Is there something that stands out for you as like a, a clear failure you've had or a clear time where you were just up against a wall and like, you're like, how the hell am I going to get up this wall? You know, like, when was it like really tough for you? If you could talk on that and how you got over that. I mean, that's, it was the whole like first three years of me running my business. Like, yeah. you know, you don't, people don't see that grind of like going to gym. Like I would literally get kicked out of facilities because I was coaching in their gym when I shouldn't have been. So I had to grind and move our, you know, practice to an outdoor gym, you know, that was, a quarter of a mile away. And then I had to take, pick my clients up from school in order to get them to work out because I wanted their you know business so bad. And then, you know, I had to do like all these little random things in order to make, you know, in order to make my job sufficient in order to make my career path sufficient. And those were, you know, daily, you know, daily things, daily trouble, daily, daily troubles, daily problems that I had to yeah. you know, kind of overcome. But one of the things that you know, that I, I, I love telling it's actually what I built my business on is passion fuels growth. Consistent growth will equate to success. And that's one thing that I kept in mind, you know, with me, you know, I, I, every day I, I drove the day with my passion and that got me through each day. And I can, from there, I was able to continually grow in the way that I articulated each conversation, the way that I built each relationship. And that was my continuous growth. And that eventually led to a position for me to be in where I had the opportunity to come up here and, have an actual facility, you know, at my fingertips. What's the process of you cultivating that passion every day? I'm sure, you know, 
that's something people hear a lot, but day in, day out to have passion is tough. And even for me on this climb, you know, I'm like very passionate, very excited about what I'm doing, but on a day in, day out basis, there's just some days where you just don't have that passion. Is there something you do to like remind yourself? Is there a daily habit you have that grounds you? Like, what do you do for that? So faith, my faith has been a huge component of, of my life and my upbringing. And, and that's something that every day, like it's been, you know, we go to Saddleback Church right here and Rick Warren does an amazing daily devotional. And I kid you not, it's like every day when I wake up and we go through, I go through the devotional, it's like always hits home. So it always grounds me right away. And it's always something like for me, I've been very blessed with not, I don't worry very much. So like I'll handle the days, you know, brings, you know, as is whatever it is. And I'll handle it with a smile on my face. And then once that day is over, then I'll start worrying about the problems of tomorrow. And that's very difficult for us in today's society. Like we're, we're in a, in, in, in a society where we're planning five years ahead and we're worrying two weeks ahead. And the problem with that is, you know, when we worry that much, it doesn't give us time to worship for what we have. Mm-hmm. And when we try to plan so much, we can't pray for what we're going through on that day. Like, and if I, if I focus on all these problems that I have, you know, maybe in the future, I can't really address the things that I'm struggling with today. Like that's something that always hit home for me is, is I need to handle everything that it is today with as much passion that I bring to this sport, as much passion I have for my life, you know, and, and really tackle the, the, the problems and the issues, the things that I'm struggling with at that moment. And as a pro, as a, as a result of that, it's going to be a lot easier for me to find my footing, you know, from the days to that proceed that, that, that follow. I've seen, and I've heard, you know, the importance that faith has played in your life and it's, it's super like admirable for me, I didn't grow up in that setting, but as I've gotten older, I've recognized that like the importance of believing in something beyond like yourself is so crucial. And it sounds like what you're saying, like despite specifics as to what people believe, like having some sort of faith in something beyond you it kind of grounds you in the moment, it sounds yeah. like. So you're, you're not focused on a year in advance. You're focused on, you know, this next play, this next play, this next play. And then yeah. just, it's, it's a bottom line sense of trust. It seems like you've had along. Yeah. Looking back, you know, people in the middle of the climb, similar to where you were, you know, grinding, driving 100 miles a day. Um, and that's not an exaggeration. <laughs> like, it's a legitimate. In Southern my California. Average, yeah. My average drive was 110 miles per day. That's insane. Yeah. Luckily, you, luckily you had a Prius. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. Did our taxes. I would literally write off every mile at the end of every tax year. That's incredible. Miserable. That's insane. Miserable. Three years. What do you say to someone, you know, in that stage of their life? Like, you could say that to me, like, asking selfishly, I guess. What would you say to someone like me? who's in the cut of the climb, you know, I'm doing whatever I can to like talk to cool people and, and grow myself and my skill set and make the connections necessary. And what do you say to someone like that? Do you say, you know, enjoy the ride and have fun and like, don't take it too serious. Do you say like, put your head down and work and do whatever's necessary? Like, or is it a balance between the you, two? You have to find that healthy balance. And like, that's something that, you know, it was for me, like it was an easy fit, like right away because I was passionate, I found out I was passionate for teaching found out I can make a lot of money, you know, doing it. So it was like, holy crap, you know, here I am, you know, hard of college, just finishing college. And like, I can make this a career with, you know, the three months that I've poured in or the six months that I've poured into to, to training, like that made, it made it realistic to me. And I think that's a great place for, for people like you to start is find what you're passionate about, find that love for it, but understand it's got to put, you know, food on the table for you. And what is it going to take to get to that point? Mm-hmm. I, I lost track of what I was about to have. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. So uh, your high school self, I, I've yeah. heard about you talk about that. And you were 
And when people reach out to me, you know, young basketball players, a lot of the things they deal with is something you dealt with in high school. It sounds like that lack of confidence, you know, that I'm going to take this shot and I know I'm good, but when I miss it, I can't take another one. I'm too fearful. And it sounds like you had a balance of like, you weren't fully confident in yourself as a basketball player. And you had maybe a coach that was looming over your shoulder. Yeah. Is there any advice you'd give to someone in that position now? Because I think that's one of the most common things in basketball and outside of basketball is like trusting your ability, having confidence and not worrying about external opinions like a coach or a boss. Yeah, it's tough, especially from a high school perspective. Yeah. Because you're looking at your elders, you're looking at adults as being the authoritative figure who knows exactly what to do and what to say. So it's hard. Like, if I could talk to my younger self, I'd be, be like, hey, look, respect, but understand, respect your coach, but understand that what they know or what they say isn't always right. And I think one thing that's really difficult for younger society and younger people uh, is is their, their willingness to become so passive to where they just take away their and strip themselves from all their confidence and just defer to everyone else. I guess a big thing, big problem that we see here in Southern California is a lot of players become so passive because of one or two instances, whether it be a coach or a teammate or uh, a cohort that, you know, will get them, strip them of that confidence. They'll say, oh man, your socks don't match. Those are awful socks. And like that one little thing can turn that player into a, you know, have, the, have them give a little bit of lack of swag or lack of confidence in themselves. And from a coaching perspective, you know, one thing that, that uh, another thing that I would love to, to encourage younger players to do is make sure you can formally have a dialogue with that coach. Like, do not feel the, you know, the, the, the passive behavior of, of saying like, hey, look, I have to accept, you know, what you say, like respect, but respect what they say, but understand that, there is room for to have a conversation to clear the air or at least clear your doubts that you might have. Because the second you start formulating doubts as a young player is the second that you start resenting that coach, the second that you let your emotions take over how you're going to play when you get to a game. A lot of high school kids are freaking emotional, emotional so freaking much. Yeah. And when you get a high school kid who doesn't know how to control their emotions, just start playing in their feelings, it could be a bad recipe. Yeah, and looking back with me and teammates alike, like, no one really approaches coaches and has that dialogue. Why do you think it's so tough for people at that age to, like, you know, that 16 to 18-year-olds have trouble standing up for themselves in a way that's not, like, rebellion, you know? It's either rebellion or silence, it seems like, rather yeah. than a nice, healthy dialogue. Because coaches, the whole coaching sphere has pride themselves on being that authoritative figure. Yeah. So it's like from a trainer's perspective, like, we're trying to shape the game we're trying to get kids into a more comfortable position to you know understand the sport from literally this like the most detailed skill mechanics so that way when they do get put in a coaching perspective coaching situation they can have these conversations and they can bring more to a team than just a worker bee like we want to produce kids that are self-sufficient kids that understand everything has to do with this game you know and this doesn't go just for kids but you know for adults as well so that way we can build a stronger community, a stronger society of the sport. I've heard you talk about it before too. In the sense, and I like this because someone who's had the success you've had, it's like cool to see that you, um, you never had your identity really caught up with how you performed in, in the sport in general. Like it seemed like from a young age, you, you knew you were going to be an entrepreneur in some sense and you had yeah. dreams outside of the game. Even now still, it's like, it's what you do. It's what you love, but it's not who you are. Yeah. And that's, a, that's something I've tried to talk about before. And that's something a lot of people, including myself, like once I transitioned out of the game, I was like, oh shit, like now what? You know, who am I now? 
And I think a lot of people deal with that. Why do you think that's like, I could say this all day long, but it doesn't hold the same merit that, you know, Jordan Lawley saying like through all his success, his success saying that like basketball doesn't define me best. I'm more than a basketball player. Yeah. Why do you think that's important? Like in this day and age? And do you think like too many people are caught up in the sense that I am just a basketball player? Yeah. And, and a lot of it is, a lot of it is our society saying ball, the, you know, basketball ball never stops. Life. Ball is life, yeah. you know, grind 24 seven, like, all these things like that's not, it's not the case. That is an over-exaggeration to get you to buy into their belief. And it's just a company trying to sell something. Like we have to understand that each, yes, I am my company. I, I am in a service industry where I'm selling myself, but I will never sell my soul for my company. So I've built my brand on my faith, on my family, on my, on my morals and beliefs, you know, and it's something that's never wavered. And once again, going back to the, you know, sound like a broken record, Going back to the foundation aspect, I knew who I was as a person and I kept everything within my vertical. So I have my faith, my family, and my, you know, my morals that all build my, on my knowledge and my intellect of the sport. So nothing will intercept my first tier. Nothing will come close. Basketball does not touch my ground floor of my pyramid. Everything is built on top of it. Um, How did you develop such a strong sense of belief of who you were? Uh, my faith was, you know, was once again, was from a huge a young from a, age from a young age. My grandpa was a pastor and, um, you know, we just grew up in the faith. I had a couple of events in my life that have happened that, um, that were, that were traumatizing and, you know, that I almost lost my life. And, you know, there continues to be things that I, that I, uh, that I get put in where you know, I can just see his glory and his goodness and, and everything. And a lot of times it takes those moments to, to really make you understand, you know, what it is that we're put on this life, you know, on this, in, on this world for. And, uh, you know, I've had a couple of those in my life. It's that deep trust. I love that. And yeah. Since you know who you are so well, if I, if you, if you were stripped of all things basketball, I'm just thinking of this question on the spot. Um, like, what would you do? You, would you do some sort of teaching outside of the game? Like, is that something you could put your headspace in? Like, if, if, if there was no basketball for you, for some reason, you know, this is super hypothetical, what would you do? Uh, analyst, uh, sports commentator. Outside of basketball. <laughs> so I actually did something, believe it or not, I did something for the All-Star game last year. Um, not this one, but the past one. And then I also did Summer League. I did commentating for oh, did really? full no live broadcast uh, commentating for yeah. the games. Speaking of uh, developing your ability to speak. Yeah, that one was tough. tough. Yeah, that's that tough. one was very tough to have a running dialogue with consistent, like, play-by-play, filled with color commentating. It's very, very difficult, but, you know, I, I found out that I absolutely loved it. So we did a bunch of stuff on Twitch for the regular season games with the NBA and then fin- uh, finished up with the broadcasting for that. That's something that I loved, I loved doing, but um, I started up my first company when I was in high school, so uh, I've always what been... What kind of company was that? A pro- property management company. Oh, really? So we managed, uh, managed my parents' rental property, just no kept way. it real simple. Uh, from that, we turned it into uh, turned it into a private investment firm. We invested in uh, uh, biotech companies down in San Diego, and then wow. from that we uh, flip houses. So I'm an entrepreneur by by trade with with how my father uh, raised me. So I feel very blessed and privileged for you know for my upbringing with that. And how do you go about kind of feeding your brain in that sense? Like an entrepreneur must like stay on top of everything, have new ideas. How do you build your creativity muscle? How do you add to, you know, the garden of your mind, so yeah. to say? Uh, a lot of it is just finding what I'm, you know, what I love. What I, you like to do. You know, like I, I love the biotech space and like really? that's how we got involved with it. And there was my teammate at the time who was doing his 
uh, he had like a senior thesis that he was doing at this company and we're like, just fell into our lap with that. Like, hey, you just gotta be ready. And that's a lot of thing. A lot of part of it too is just knowing how to adapt, you know, on the spot, like knowing when to take advantage of a situation that might be fruitful. Mm. And I had always had this open mind where, you know, it didn't have to be, you know, I was I was never searching for anything, but I was always open to the fact that something perfect could land on my lap at any given moment. Mm. And I feel like so many people are trying to create you know, the perfect scenario, the perfect situation for themselves, that they miss out on all these little opportunities along the way. And a lot of this, you know, a lot of successful, you know, a lot of successful stories are based on the process, not on the end result. Mm. So how do you, how do you go about like pushing that through to someone and that younger generation and myself included, like without people always tell you, have your goal really specific, have your goal clear and it's great to work towards something. But what you're saying is, goes back again to having that greater trust and enjoying the process. And, and basically you just stayed lean and, and stayed open to new opportunities and kind of just like day by day, took it day by day. And then eventually you kind of trusted that some, something beyond yourself would take care of you and that you would end up where you're supposed to be. Yeah. So a lot of that has a little bit to do with uh, a lot of it has a little, a lot <laughs> of that has, has to do with the fact that we're in a very evolving industry, like yeah. for the basketball training space, like, it evolves and changes and shifts, shifts about every three to five years regarding how we teach our training style, regarding, you know, what our main business model pushes the needle for us from, you know, DVD sales to online, you know, online sales to membership model to, you know, team training. to So like it's constantly changing. So I've had the opportunity to develop a little bit of that belief and, you know, mm-hmm. constantly stay fluid, yeah. never, you know, stay too ironclad to what, you know, your 10 year goal is. I don't believe in 10 year goals because like, I don't know where I'm going to be in three years, you know? So it's just like, you got to stay a little bit more fluid. So believe it or not, because actually ties into the way that we train on the court. So when I started off, I was very hard structured. I was had a little, like, cause I knew nothing better. My coach, my college coach at the time had a little piece of paper that he flipped over his belt. So I would literally approach every training session like that. I'd have a piece of paper that flipped over my belt and it had every 15 minute Mike drill, left-hand layups, shooting mid-range, water, three minutes. And it was all this hard structure where I wasn't listening to the client that was in front of me. I wasn't paying attention to, the, to their growth process. I was only paying attention to my objective. Mm-hmm. So I was missing out on if Timmy or Janet or Joe was doing something incorrectly at that moment that they needed more focus on. I was just putting them in this monochronic, you know, pendulum of, hey, this is what you have to do because it has to fit within my schedule. And when I took myself out of that, I started learning that loose structure where you kind of free flow. I have a concept or a mechanic in mind that I want to work on for this hour. And then I'm going to let the drill kind of come to us. I'm going to let the, 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 the client dictate the pace and what we focus on. I let that take form. And that allowed me to get more invested in my client. Now's a cool point because I can live and breathe that we are not Jordan Lally basketball, myself, my, you know, business, uh, my business associates, my assistant director, we are about the transformation, not about the transaction. And when you can put that on your name or under your umbrella or to a client or a customer, now they know that you're invested. Now they know that you're free flowing and you can be a little bit more fluid and lax with, with how you get to that goal. And they know that it's not about you. It's kind of a metaphor for everything that you just talked about is, 
instead of having your clear objective in these training sessions and, and trying to be so structured, you kind of became more present with your teammates or your, your clients. You became more process-oriented. You yeah. became more in touch with them. And just like you did on your journey, it sounds like that's how kind of how you got to where you are. You know, you took it day by day. You didn't force the objective. You kind of navigated what felt right, what didn't feel right, and mm-hmm. you got to where you are. I like your story, how you, you know, you, <laughs> the climb sounds like it was quite the grind. Yeah. How is your, you know, I'm sure you started off like in these really uncomfortable situations. And for me, like even just coming here, I drove pretty far and meeting you, it makes me nervous. You know, this is some big NBA trainer and I'm, you know, just sitting here and, and talking to you for the first time, which I'm grateful for. But how has your relationship with like fear and being uncomfortable kind of evolved since you started and now? Like, do you still get uncomfortable? Is it something you just now like don't really feel? Is it, is it a, how has that relationship evolved through uh, the years? That's been probably one of the biggest evolutions of myself is understanding the balance of putting yourself out there and then not doing it you know, so much. So I was not necessarily an introvert, but with how I was operating my business, I was very withdrawn. Mm. So I would not go out. Like I would do my hard marketing or advertising with my car, which was very loud, but I would never go into, you know, the gym and say, Hey, I want to work with your son or daughter, you know, or, Hey, you know, I'm Jordan law. I would never present myself to an NBA player, you know, as such when I was first starting out, um, I was focused more on internal objectives and trying to build a foundation. But I started to realize that if I never put myself out there, it's going to be hard to succeed. If I never put myself in a position to fail, it's going to be hard to succeed. It's kind of like, a, you know, what's that, uh, what is that, uh, that book that that guy wrote for dating? You know, like it's a numbers game with how many success cases that you have. Like you have to put yourself out there and yes, you might, you know, not get a response from somebody. Yes. You might, you know, they might decline your invitation or they might uh, say like, yo, I can't do anything for you. But there are going to be some cases where somebody just replies and says, yeah, let's do it. What do you want to do? Like, and those are the cases that are going to help build you help build your resume and help build your ability and your confidence in yourself. It's a numbers game. So is there any, is there any time that you, fail oh yes so many times so many times like going and trying to present like my belief my 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 belief in in the sport and what i can do to a client that i over speak and you know that this you know that was one of my downfalls at times like when really? i first started off is is i just over talked and i just kind of like talked myself into a hole because you know a lot of times the best thing you can do is just keep it simple stupid and like that's something that i really struggled with um so when i was first going about my, you know, dialogue phase with, with clients, you know, that was a big struggle point for me. And how do you, uh, so you, you kind of adjust and evolve. How do you add to your skill set every day? I'm assuming, like you said, you know, the current state of the union of basketball and of business is always changing. How, is there anything you do to kind of add your skill set, add your knowledge? Do you study the game? Are you watching film all the time? Like what's it look like for you? Yeah. Film study is important because the flow of the game keeps, our business can, you know, consistent. And, you know, honestly, we have, not everybody is going to be, you know, an NBA player, but there are going to be, you know, opportunities to take the NBA game and implement it into, you know, our players' lives. Um, but the NBA game will dictate, you know, just like the free flow of, of the sport. It'll dictate what college does. It'll dictate, and college will therefore dictate high school. High school dictates grassroots. So it starts from the day, uh, from the top and then trickles down from there. So you've got to stay consistent with the flow of the NBA game. So given everything we've talked about, what do you think is a, 
a good message you could give, you know, the upcoming generation, whether a trainer, a basketball player, an entrepreneur, whatever it is, what are some things you, Jordan Lolly, would want, you know, the people to know about the journey, about the climb, about your story? Is there anything you want to leave us with? Uh, find your voice, find your passion, stick with it and continue to grow on it and understand that your failures will make you who you are. Those fears, those things that you put in as obstacles are actually catapults for you in your life. I love that. The obstacle of the way. I think that's a, a title of a book. Yeah. What's on the horizon for you? Like uh, your business with you, what's next? So we have, I have a baby due May 31st. So Congrats, I'm excited dude. about that. That's yeah, real, real pumped about that. <laughs> so it's our second one on the way. Uh, so we're really excited. Um, and that's kind of, you know, the, the, the main forefront. And then we're actually finding a new facility right now at the end of the year. So that's kind of one of those, those hurdles or those obstacles that's, you know, both exciting and exhilarating, but at the same time, nerve wracking demoralizing because we're going to lose this amazing facility. This is an amazing facility. It's amazing. Yeah, we love, we absolutely love it. But it's been a blessing. It's been a privilege. And, you know, these instances will help us. Like I said, we're going to shape shift out of it. We're going to have new business models and different prongs to, to help us grow and continue to develop. And you have a couple things out, though. I'll, I'll close out in a couple minutes, but you have a couple things out. You have a trainer program. You have a transformation program. Maybe tell me about those. Yeah, so, so we, we can have push a, people to those. our JLRB Ball Trainer's Guide to Success that just talks a lot of the same things that we talked about today, just more in depth with, you know, the structure and how I built my business and how I grew my brand to, you know, to what we do on a daily strategic, you know, marketing plan for our, our, our posts, to how we grew our, our following to, you know, how we run, you know, the structure of our group session, private sessions, team sessions. Yeah. It just gives a, a lot of the trainers, those up and coming trainers, uh, something to really hold on to and, and help on their path to success. And then we also do our transformation program where we have kids. We have an online one that works on building or developing your body, uh, which I put myself through. And it's a killer workout, but got my vert up, lowered my body fat percentage while increasing weight. And that was phenomenal Damn. for my game. Absolutely phenomenal. That's tough. Um, but then we also do in-house transformations where we bring kids from all over the world. And that's like one of our, our bread and butters that we see the most return on investment for each client. Something I'm passionate about is the... Uh the access we have. So like being able to follow someone like you and then sign up for a course for like 40 bucks yeah. you know, from the best trainers in the world. What do you think about this whole online? You know, we talked a little bit about the dangers of social media. You know, people aren't communicating the way they should. They're getting sucked in. But how great do you think it is the access that we have to some of the best education possible through video and through online? It's amazing. And I think if it will be even more amazing when people strip themselves from the fear of reaching out because it is so easy to access everyone. Like it's so easy for you to that's, just hit me blown up, me away. hit me up. And like, literally we made it happen right away. And it's so easy for somebody to just reach out on a DM, send me a DM if you want to train. And I will respond back saying like, look, you want to come to one of our sessions? Great. Plop in $60 a session. And you have an hour and 15 minutes with us. Like it is that easy, but wow. nobody puts themselves in that position to fail or to get rejected because they have that fear of rejection to get uncomfortable. Put yourself out there. I love that. Yeah. And then the last question that is my favorite question. I get to be selfish. Assuming you would change nothing and assume your life panned out the way it was meant to, that, the higher trust we talked about. But given who you were at the age of 24, that's how old I am, <laughs> what's a piece of advice you'd give yourself? Oh man, 24 year old me. How old are you? 31. 31. Oh, you're young. <laughs> Thank you. My body doesn't feel it. So 24-year-old me was driving around like a freaking madman. And I was wasting so much time uh, being in my car, 
I could have made it a lot more simplistic on myself to tie myself with an organization to make my, to streamline my efficiency and get more utility out of my team. So I always like to tell younger, younger people, younger entrepreneurs, find ways to maximize your potential, maximize your output on a daily basis. Take, you know, Tuesdays, Thursdays or whatever, strip yourself in those days of doing purely reach out work where you're sending hard, uh, hard emails to each, you know, to other individuals that you want to you know, interview and then allocate other days to something else. I struggle with that to start off. So I'd work seven days a week and I'd literally have six sessions spanning over, you know, an 11 hour period. So I wasn't maximizing my time correctly. Second is make sure you have value in whatever you offer. Okay, so when you go to reach out to somebody, don't make it about yourself. Don't highlight what you want to do for, you know, for your to help build your business, but give them some form of value to help yours or to help their, sorry, to help theirs. Like you offering me, you know, the content, you know, the, to give to my media partner, that was automatic value to me. And I thought, heck yeah, I'm going to use that for sure. Yeah. Like that is big time value, yeah. you know, like, and that's something that allowed me to respond to you right away. Like, and that's something that a, a lot of people don't really realize because they hear this stigma, they have this stigma from others, like, reach out, reach out, reach out. Don't just reach out, reach out and offer. Reach out and promote value. Reach out and let it know that you see an area that they can get better in or you see something that they want, uh, that they could have value in. And it's so much easier to connect to people. That's incredible advice for me and for like anybody on the climb with training business or entrepreneur. So appreciate that. Jordan, I appreciate the time, man. This is super special for me to be able to talk to you. You're someone that I felt like I've known, you know, through the digital world, but it's super cool to sit down with you. And I love your energy and I, I love what you're doing. Man. Thanks a lot, Max. Thank you so much, man. Thank you, man. Thanks for listening, guys. And thanks again to Jordan for hopping on the podcast. Be sure to give me an Apple iTunes rating if you haven't already. That helps me out so much. Hit me up on Instagram if you want to chat. I'm pretty active on there. Um, and shouts out to my audio engineer, man, Justin Jones. He's killing it for me. He makes me sound good. Uh, and if anybody out there wants to start a podcast of their own, we may be able to help you out. So reach out to us on Instagram and we can go from there. But uh, thank you guys for listening and I'll see you guys on the next episode.